Good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you on this Thanksgiving week as we wrap up this series, How Long? Maybe it seems a little incongruous in a sense. We were talking about being thankful. We're talking about praising our God and that this week that is. But in this series, we've been talking about asking God, where is he? But those things aren't really meant to be separated. The psalmists often bring those two together because we find ourselves in situations where we know we're called to be thankful to our God. We read in his word how good he is to us. And yet it feels very dark. It's sort of like if you're out, maybe you're in your garage and you have some different boxes and lawn tools and whatever else in in the garage. You have your car parked in the garage, so it's not very wide and easy to navigate. And you're walking through the garage using the light of the garage door opener. It's night, the door is shut, the door to the house is shut. You're walking through that garage and then you take a little too long doing something and the light goes off. Well, you've been there a thousand times before probably, but with the various things that are piled in a garage as they often end up being piled and the darkness of it and the narrowness of it, it becomes very hard to figure out how to get back to where you started. Have you been there? I think probably most of us have had that sort of experience. Or maybe it's in your basement. You're going somewhere in your basement and the power goes out. That sort of thing. We've had those experiences. And when it happens, it's incredibly disorienting because even though the area is somewhat familiar, even though we, we think we know where we're going and we basically do, when it's really dark and we can't see where we're going, suddenly it feels very closed in and uncomfortable. And not entirely wrongly, right? Because there's that rake over in the corner and you, you're trying to get through that aisle of the garage and you trip over the rake and you're trying to catch the rake so it doesn't fall in the car and, and so on and so forth. And it suddenly becomes something very unpleasant, even though it's a familiar surrounding. And in our lives, that's often how it feels as well. We, we're, we're going along, we see the overall floor plan that we find in God's word of what he intends for our lives to be. And we have the things that we've been planning and the things we've been dreaming and the things that we're hoping for all in there as well. And We're moving towards those. And then we hit a bump. We hit one of those how long, oh Lord, moments that we've been talking about. And even though we see that door of thankfulness over on the other side of the room, just moments before the light goes out because we took just a little too long or we got held up or whatever it might be, suddenly it feels very dark and very disorienting. And there are actual pitfalls that we could run into. And that seems to be where David is. He, he has enemies, enemies that oppose him, enemies that want to see his downfall. They see that he's in a bad place right now. He is in the dark. And so to get from where he is to thankfulness, he has to navigate not only just the darkness of the moment, but all those things he might stumble across in the darkness. And while maybe if he closes his eyes and he thinks he can still re- remember, that door of thankfulness was just over there. feels awfully awfully far away. What are we trying to do? And and why are we reading a psalm like this? Well, we're trying to make the transition from that kind of experience, because we don't plan to be in the dark in the garage, to a different kind of dark experience. The psalmist doesn't say all darkness is going to go away. We've been seeing that over the last few weeks. It's not going to get solved today as we dig into those last few verses. But what do we find? Well, if you've had that experience, say, in the middle of the night, you decide to get up and and use the facilities, you probably don't need to turn on all the lights in the house. You know the way there, and you plan to go in the darkness there, and you get there and you don't generally, unless 
you have a, a cat or a dog that likes to stand in the path and trips you outside of something like that you probably get there no worse for wear why because you've prepared for that you've done it so many times it's familiar territory that you intend to travel in the dark and what the psalms are helping us to do and what we see here as we move into that thankfulness portion of the psalm is that once david gets reoriented and says well yeah this is dark but i know how to move with the lights out in this area because i have the promises and faithfulness of god david is then able to traverse back to that door of thankfulness. And let's pray on this Thanksgiving week, whatever we carry into it, whatever is going wrong, that we can traverse to that door as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your love. Thank you for being with us even when it feels dark, even when it feels disorienting, even when we can't sleep at night, even when we find ourselves scared about what to do next and how to do it. Lord, would you guide us? Would you be with us with your Holy Spirit helping us to glorify you each step of the way and to feel your peace each step of the way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and dig into those first few verses of the night. In Psalm 6-6, we read, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. David's in a pretty dark spot, wouldn't you say? This this language that he's using there is similar to what you would use if you wanted to describe someone actually literally drowning. And so when he says that he's drenched in his tears, David feels like he's crying so much that he might as well be crying himself into drowning. There's too much water. And of course, he's not saying that literally. We can't drown ourselves in tears in the sense that we'll actually produce enough water to cover ourselves. But I think we all know what he's really referring to there. And he, he says, he says that, that his, his eyes are weak. He says that he's weary from moaning. We hear these things and David is trying to help us to understand that yes, yes, he is the great psalmist. Yes, he is the great king. Yes, he knows that God is good and faithful, but he is still in this place. And in that, I believe God is giving us a genuine gift that, that when we're in that place, it doesn't mean that we're outside of his grace. It doesn't mean that we're outside of faithfulness. Faithful followers of the Lord are going to find themselves in the sort of place that David describes both because of our own doing, as it seems like is the case here. David seems to have worked himself into a bad spot. Sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's that we are trying to do our best and something just goes terribly wrong. But but either way, when we find ourselves in these places, it's not a lack of of being a genuine believer that leaves us feeling shaken and uncertain. We can be genuine believers. We can trust the Lord and yet still struggle in these moments. Haven't we all been there those times where we're exhausted because even though we crawl into bed and we can barely get there and, and we get into bed and we fall asleep, then we wake up and we're still exhausted, but we can't get back to sleep because our minds just won't shut off. We keep worrying about things. I'm good at this. I'd imagine many of us are, but I, I can certainly testify to this. It, it is a great way to stay awake in the middle of the night. Just fill your mind with things to worry about, worry about them, and you'll stay awake. Um, Maybe not very productively, but you'll stay awake. 
productive part I need to work on. But we know that. We, we experience that sort of thing. And Satan wants to come in in those times and say, well, if you really believed in the Lord, if you really trusted him, you wouldn't be feeling like this. So then we start to worry about that. Then we start to become even more degraded and demoralized because not only do we find ourselves in a place where it seems like everything is going wrong, we don't know what to do with, with our lives, with, with how to accomplish the things we know we need to do. We also find ourselves exhausted and now feeling faithless because of it. But that's not what the psalmist is saying here. It's not what the psalms say in general. It's not what God says throughout his word. God comes to us in those fearful moments, in those scary moments, and he says, fear not, for I am with you. And that is the very different true God that we encounter in scripture versus the false picture of him that Satan wants us to, to hang on to and, and use to be demotivated by. David isn't going to say it's all okay. David isn't going to say, well, you know, it wasn't really that big a deal anyway. I'm just going to go back to sleep now. David is in a place where all the cliches we toss, all those things where, where we think we can make it better by saying something trite, he knows that's not going to work for him, and it's not going to work for those who come and read the psalm afterwards. It's like Job says in Job 16, verse 2. It says, I have heard many such things referring to what his friends have been saying. Miserable comforters are you all. Shall windy words have an end? But what provokes you that, that you answer? I also could speak as you do if you were in my place. I could join words together against you and shake my head at you. I could strengthen you with my mouth, and the solace of my lips would assuage your pain. I love Job's frankness as he speaks throughout the book of Job, and, and here he's right on the money. He has these friends who have come over. They started out doing pretty well. They didn't say anything. They just wept with him. They were just there with him. They were doing great at that point. But then they decided they needed to resolve the problem for Job, and so they started to try to explain what was going on, and they tried to point out what Job probably had gotten wrong, but they didn't know. They were just making assumptions because surely Job had to do something to bring this on himself, and so they go from being those who are comforting their friend to those who are antagonizing their friend. Sometimes we don't do it that directly. We don't go and directly say, here's what's wrong with you that's caused this problem. That usually isn't the best way to start when someone's beaten down. But we do toss out one of those many, many cliched phrases. And isn't it funny that we do that? Because when we're in that spot and someone says it to us, what do we want to do? We, the last thing we want to do is say, thanks, that makes me feel so much better. No, we think, would you just go away and quit saying these things? It's not comforting at all. And yet, when we're in the role of being the one to offer comfort, how often do we fall into it? Because we want to say something. And I think that's part of Job's friend's problem. They, they've sat there, hasn't solved the problem. Now they want to solve it for Job. And so they decide to get into an argument with him over what is wrong with Job's life that's caused him to be in this place. D David and Job both are in dark places, different places, yes, but different, but still dark places. And in both cases, what they need is comfort from God. They don't need these trite phrases that, that are just empty. And David here is saying it's okay to be in a place where we're moaning and groaning and weeping and crying out, how long, O oh Lord? It's okay to do that. It was okay for Job. It was okay for David. 
And it's okay for us when we're in those places. Not that we should feed that. We can get into a, a very unhealthy pattern where we just spend all our time complaining. If our normal everyday way of speaking is to complain, if everyone just assumes when we start speaking it's going to be a new complaint, if we actually find comfort in complaining, I just want to say some negative things, that's not what's being referred to here, and that's not healthy, and that's not what's encouraged by God. But when we find ourselves in that genuine dark night, when we find ourselves in those lowest lows of our lives, we can complain to God. And even throughout the day, we're going to have little things, sometimes big things. We can bring those to God. We don't feed an unhealthy sense of, of complaint, but we certainly do bring up stuff that we don't understand, things that, the things that genuinely keep us up every night. Those sorts of things. We can bring them to God. And there's nothing wrong with dwelling there with God. We don't have to quickly move on and say, oh, but Lord, I know that you say everything's going to be okay, so everything's going to be okay, and now I'm going to go to sleep with a smile on my face, even if I have to glue my face into some pose that's going to make me look happy. That doesn't ask us to do that. I saw a pastor online a couple of weeks ago ask a great question. He asked people to offer advice on what they found were helpful words of comfort in a dark situation. He said, there's so many things that are said that, that aren't helpful. He wanted to know what people had been actually comforted by. Here's one person's answer. He said, when my grandfather had lost two children and then his wife, someone wrote to him, don't look for an explanation. What you need is not an explanation, but the presence of your savior and comforter. I thought, that gets to the heart of what what David is speaking about here, and what we're called to recognize it for ourselves and for others as Christians. We're not looking to explain everything. We're not going to explain everything. And when we try to explain everything, it's going to be deeply unsatisfying. What are we trying to do? What are we looking to do? We're looking to go to the one who will make things all right someday. Not right now, not completely. David doesn't say here, there's a quick fix as soon as I get that the Lord is the one in control. But sometimes what we really need is just the comfort of knowing the Lord is in control, even when it doesn't make sense. And I thought that was so good. How do you explain to this man who's just lost his two children and then his wife, wow, that makes sense. And I'm sure there were people that tried, well, this is going, this is teaching you something that you're going to use later in life. This is this is because of this or that thing that you've done wrong. This is, this is because God needed you to trust him even more. Stuff like that. Stuff that we hear people say, and it's all terrible. It's really wicked. And we all end up uttering some of this stuff. But what we're doing is we're actually hurting the people of God. And sometimes people that don't yet know God, but sure could use that comfort because we're making it sound like all this stuff is, is really okay. David recognizes here that it's not really okay in this moment. Things are deeply broken and he's deeply hurting. He just is at the right place to go when he's deeply hurting. Sometimes when we're trying to explain it, it's sort of like trying to clean something that's impossible to clean. I read a study recently that said that researchers analyze the different concepts that are being brought up to clean out all the plastic trash that's in the ocean. They've come up with these different robots that people can create and so on. But here's what they said. It really wouldn't be that helpful. It's not because they actually want to embrace the idea of there being all this garbage in the ocean. 
It's because the garbage is going into the ocean so quickly that even if you had these amazing robots that were doing this cleaning, they couldn't even begin to remove plastic as fast as it's going in. The only way that you're going to actually fix it is to reduce the amount of trash going into the ocean to begin with. And so if you really want to clean up the ocean, they said, 95% of the effort should be going to reducing the amount of trash we throw into our waterways, not creating miraculous technology to clean up the trash once it's there, because you won't be able to clean it up fast enough. And when we try to clean up the trash in our lives or in other people's lives, we can't clean it up fast enough. The trash is pouring in, the brokenness is pouring in faster than what we can try to do with our explanations. I think we know this intuitively because in those dark moments, the attempts for other people to clean it up for us don't help either. And yet somehow we fall into that. Here's a reminder that we don't need to. What we need is our savior and our comforter. Another answer to that pastor's question came from one of my friends. He said one of the most comforting things he's heard is simply, this too shall pass. Now that does in a way sound like a cliche, but as I thought about it, I thought about the profoundness of that particular statement. Because it doesn't say it's all okay. It doesn't say, here's why it makes sense. It simply is a reminder, God hasn't had his final say yet, but he will. There will be something more. And indeed, that's exactly what we see at the end of this psalm in Psalm 6, verses 8 to 10. We turn back to our psalm. Here is what we read there. David says, Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Notice what David says here and what he doesn't say. Verse 9, he says that the Lord has heard him. He knows that. That's happened. As he's cried out, as he's drowned in his tears, God has heard him. He knows that. But he doesn't say God has already fixed everything. What's the difference then? Well, I think it goes back to what we see in verse 5, that he knows his calling is to remember the goodness of God. For in death there is no remembrance of you, and Sheol, who will give you praise? We talked about that last week, that idea that our calling is to remember the faithfulness of God. He, he knows both his calling to do that, but also the truth of that that allows him to fulfill that calling, that God has been faithful in the past, both to him and to others. And so he knows that this too shall pass. There will be a time when God makes things right. But it hasn't happened yet. And David can rest in that comfort of his Savior, even though he hasn't experienced the correction to the problem yet. And that's where we get into verse 10. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. If we trust in the Lord, all those who oppose us, all those who oppose the Lord, they may look triumphant in this moment. They may look like they have the upper hand. And at this moment, they may indeed have it. But someday God is going to oppose every wicked thing to the point that it's shut down. Someday it will all end. Someday it all will pass. And so what do we need in this moment? Well, we'd say, well, God wanted to fix it all right now. That would be really nice. And it would. We've talked in, in past series about God's patience and, and staying back at this moment, not yet bringing full end-of-the-world judgment because his plan of salvation is still working. And yet, 
And yet we say, well, that would fix the problem right now, Lord, if only you would do that. But what we really need is simply to experience God's grace. I like what one commentator said referring to the conclusion of this psalm. He said, when grace penetrates into the depth of an anguished soul, joy in the Lord anchors faith, which no one can remove. And see, David isn't asking God, will you turn on all the lights and make everything okay right now? He's saying, help me go from the point where I'm stumbling in that garage where the light went off unexpectedly, and help me move to a place where I'm so familiar with the territory, even when it's dark, I can walk. I can keep going. I can keep doing my calling because I know where I am. And when we allow God's grace to penetrate our soul, to, to, to answer the anguish we're experiencing, it doesn't make everything right. And it doesn't even take away all the fear and the anxiety and the anguish. But he uses his grace to orient us and allow us in that darkness to keep pursuing him, to keep moving towards that thankfulness. What do we know about it passing someday? We see in Revelation 21, 1-7, this promise. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of, of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. I like to read that passage at graveside services. And the reason I like to go to it is it doesn't say something trite. It doesn't say, well, he's in a better place now. She's in a better place now. She's not suffering. He wouldn't want to be like this. It doesn't say things like that because while that may be true, it really doesn't get to where we need to be at this moment. But that passage gets to exactly what that one man referred to about the wisdom said to his grandfather years before says that God is going to wipe away every tear, that God will make everything new. It doesn't feel right now. And the book of Revelation doesn't promise it's going to feel right right now, but it does promise there's hope for something better. And that's where David is locking onto here. As he moves from, from that utter despair to a, a worship of God in the sense that he can say, God is triumphant. He's going to set down all those who act wickedly. And things are going to be made right. He's moving into worship. He's moving into thanksgiving. And he's doing it because not everything's been made right right now. But that grace of God has penetrated his anguish and started to comfort him in this moment. David's situation wasn't light. But neither is God. He brings light into the world. But he's not a lightweight. God can handle the darkness. God can enter into it and bring his light but it can't overpower him because he is stronger than the strongest darkness. A few weeks ago, 
on Sunday night, I referred to my friend Big Mouth Billy Bass. And if you remember him, I'm not going to play him because I don't want us to get taken down on the live stream when he plays copyrighted music. But uh, if you remember him, you could press this button here or turn on the little eye. That was especially good if people hadn't ever seen one. Like when he was brand new, you could hang this up and look like you had a fish mount on your wall. And then uh, someone would walk by and he'd turn his little head and start singing. And so you could have fun with that. Uh, he was also awfully cheerful because, as I mentioned the other week, he would sing Don't Worry, Be Happy. And so you listen to that. But I bet if I asked you in the chat to say how many of you have heard the song Don't Worry, Be Happy, and you were deeply worried about something, you heard that song and you thought, oh, I'm not supposed to worry, I'm just supposed to be happy, that you immediately felt okay. But I was also thinking about Big Mouth Billy Bass in a different way, because as much as I can't say that he ever sang Don't Worry, Be Happy, and if I were genuinely worried about something, I wasn't any longer. I do look at him, and I, I remember the man who who gave him to me. Uh, he was my neighbor growing up, Mr. Bozeman, just this wonderful man. He, you always knew that if you ever needed help, uh, that he would be there for you. Just an incredible, incredible man. It reminds me of my grandpa, another person who I always knew that about. The two of them were, were really both so amazing. He saw this, and I still remember the day he saw it. It was right after it came out. It wasn't after everyone knew about it. And he was just as pleased as punch that he had found this. And he just thought himself so funny uh, the first time that my parents and I saw this fish start to sing and, you know, the, the initial shock of it. He just found himself so funny. I uh, thought himself so funny. And so I, I was looking at Big Mouth Billy Bass, and I thought, well, you know, the song he sings doesn't, necessarily do a lot in and of itself to provide comfort. But there is a comfort in seeing him and thinking about what he does, thinking about the man who brought Big Mouth Billy Bass here. When we read God's word, sometimes we read it and we even read the promises and we read that God's going to make things right. And it doesn't even in that necessarily feel all that different. Someone sends us a scripture and we think, but I still feel sad. I still feel worried. But in those moments, just as I can look at that that fish, and think about the person behind it. When we look at God's word, we should think about the God behind it. And when we think about the God behind it, when we need confidence and we don't have it, what do we find? That God is consistently faithful. And so, when we're in that darkness, when we're in that weight, we can know that he is still consistently faithful. When we cry out, how long, O Lord? He may not immediately say, six days, five hours and 22 minutes. But what he will say is, I'm with you right now. You don't have to wait. Would you pray with me, please? Father, whatever burdens we have tonight, whatever places we are struggling, would you help us to come to you knowing that you are indeed faithful? That even when we hear or read the words of scripture and it doesn't seem to take away the anxiousness and the fear, that what we would see, what we would hear, is the one behind it. That when we can't understand our situations, that we would understand that you are there with us in them. And that in that we would have confidence, not in how everything maybe works out in the moment, but how it works out ultimately. And in that you would comfort us, and you would strengthen us, and you would guide us, and you would help us to join David in declaring and remembering your faithfulness, even when in that moment we feel so lost and so uncertain. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
Hope this was a comfort to you. And as we think about the Christmas season and some of the uncertainty, we talked about this last night. I just want to remind you that on December 1st at 7 p.m., we will have a blue Christmas service. And I think it's such an appropriate way to continue this conversation that we've had over the last few weeks in this, that we heard from Jim last night as he spoke about having the problem of not feeling celebratory and dealing with the uncertainty of problems that we face in life as well. All that stuff, we're going to see a culmination of that in that blue Christmas service. So I encourage you, come to that, invite someone to, to that. We're not going to try to have some kind of cliched saying that's going to make everything right. We're going to come before our God and remember the God who gives us his word and be comforted by that. We're also going to think about what that God does, what he is doing, what he will do, and how he's going to fix things. That the, the, the need to have things fixed and what he's going to do in our brand new Monday night series. It starts next Monday night. Let all mortal flesh keep silence. What did Jesus do for us when he came? Is it really just so we can have a holiday or is it something more? It's so much more. And that's what we're going to be thinking about. And so maybe you have someone who, who likes to celebrate Christmas, but doesn't really understand what it's about considering inviting that person. Hey, join me on Monday night invite them over and actually sit there and watch it together and go visit them and watch it together. Maybe have some hot chocolate or coffee together and just make it a nice time with God's word and, and sharing that together or put it up on your, your social media, do all, all the normal things that we, we talk about. If you would help to get the word out, invite someone who could use that comfort. You would be such a great help because everyone needs to know what God is going to do for us, what he has done and what we can have confidence that he's still doing. If there's any way I can be praying for you, any questions you might have, feel free to, to shoot us a text. You can use the text line you see on screen, 833-356-4032, 833-356-4032, or leave a comment in the comments below and we can pray or discuss together there. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week, a joyful Thanksgiving, and I look forward to seeing you again very soon.